Sziasztok, Janó vagyok. Közép-Európa első világra szóló podcast csatornáját hallgatjátok Magyarországról. Ez a Budapest.fm. Hi, my name is Ray, and you're listening to the number one podcast station in Central Europe, Budapest.fm, podcasting to the world from Hungary. Hola, here we are at Budapest FM World Headquarters with the one and only Marco Makika. Hello, guys. The one and only Alberto Segatini. Hello, folks. And of course, Tom Bean. I don't know if he's the one and only, but he certainly is here. The only one that matters. The only one that matters. How's everybody doing? And today we're going to be talking about, well, a few things, but mostly about the beautiful game, Hoga Benito, soccer, football, calcio, fozzi, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Albert, not soccer. Not soccer. We not won't so- call it soccer. <laughs> <laughs> but Alberto and Marco, they both come from Italy. They both come from the north of Italy. And uh, tell me, guys, what, what teams do you support? What t- what's your favorite team? I support Atalanta from Atal- my city, Bergamo, of course. Atalanta. And unfortunately, Alberto is supporting Inter. Uh, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Come on, I support Inter Milan, of course. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And... Tom and I are both massive Liverpool supporters, and I think there's some differences between the Italian game and the English game. I mean, for me, the English game is very physical. It's it's a beautiful spectacle on the television because they have the, the colors and the pageantry of the stadiums. But the Italian game, there's something more maybe sophisticated about it and less sophisticated also. What, what do you have to say to that? Anything? I don't know. I think like English football is like more technical for sure. And less tactic, maybe. I mean, like, I think the Italian teams prefers to don't, don't concede a goal because a goal can come whenever. Catenaccio, Catenaccio. Yes, exactly, yeah. While, like, English teams, they play football. I mean, they have always an offensive idea to play football. I think it's the main difference. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you recognize that difference playing in Italy versus playing in the wonderful league that we have here? Well... <laughs> Yeah, there is actually, actually my, my Hungarian team, I don't know, correct me, really, my pronunciation is Vabhedge. <laughs> Schwabhedge is Marco's he's team. Playing, he's playing. He used, pro- to call it, he used to call it when he told me, I'm going to play for the Schwabhedge. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, he's playing a proper Catenaccio, so I mean, they do like... What is Catenaccio? Like, defend, don't concede a goal and then play oh, okay. counter-attacks. Mm-hmm. Catenaccio is like a big chain, literally, that's the translation. It's like what we usually put in front of the goal, right? So Trapattoni, maybe, no, not Trapattoni. Saki. Saki, no, Arrigo Saki. No, he was big Saki. with it. But even before, wasn't it uh, Inter Milan, like the 1960s? Didn't they have a famous coach like Herrera? Herrera, Herrera, Herrera yeah, yeah, of course. He won like two Champions League in a row. In a row, yeah. yeah. Cool. So what brings you guys to Budapest anyway? Why did you end up here? I mean, I'm working here. So uh, I had an opportunity to come here. For who? Who do you work for? I work for Sony. I'm doing logistics. And yeah, I came here. I love the city. Immediately I met you guys. And I was lucky. I mean... And that's why you stayed, because you met us, right? Yeah, I mean, like, actually I have to come here to the podcast to talk with you. Don't give me any opportunity to talk. Marco, last night. We saw each other last night. Don't give me that, Croft. Don't give me that, Croft. Not on my podcast. No, it's, yeah, true. Guys, it's, it's true. true. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. And Alberto, you came here also? Yeah, I came here for an internship at first and then I found a job like four or five years ago. And I met you guys actually later on. I think we met one year after I came to Budapest. Because you, Tom, you were not here when I came in 2016, right? Uh-huh. And you were not here either. No, I came in okay. 2018. 
for this one I right. So yeah, I still work for ExxonMobil, but uh, we're actually moving, as you guys know. Ah, so, but congratulations. When did you arrive to Budapest? 2016. Oh. I think it was October. No, June. June. So June just about five-year anniversary and you're leaving. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, let's Close. do a little cheers toast let's to that. that. We yeah, have some Guinness. Yeah, I couldn't wait anymore. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Easy does it. Nice. Get that beer exploding around all the expensive electronic equipment. <laughs> <laughs> we got it under control. We got it under control. And uh, I am not drinking right now. Well, I'm having an alcohol mentish uh, little fruity drink because today... I became immune to COVID, so that's pretty cool. Well, you're not quite after, immune yet. I think that you well, still have those. For all intents and purposes, <laughs> I got stabbed with a needle, and now that's me. Congrats. And Marco, I'm not, you're I'm also not, not drinking. drinking, and why no, is that? Because I'm playing later, unfortunately. Marco is playing in a match for the Schwabhage yes. right after the podcast. That's yeah. how dedicated he is yeah, to football. Yeah, I have to leave soon, so I mean, like, unfortunately, I cannot talk a lot with you, will I? <laughs> Last one in, first one out. Yeah. Marco's motto. <laughs> and Marco, what would you say, like, Bergamo, the, the club is called Atalanta. Yeah. And what does it mean to, to be I mean, an Atalanta actually, supporter? Actually, I don't know actually the uh, origin of the name, but Atalanta is a goddess. A goddess? Yeah. Yes. A goddess of the run. So actually, the story tells that who a person like could beat Atalanta in a race is going to marry this girl. Uh-huh. Of course, no one, I think, he beat, At- he beat Atalanta. And Except for Inter Milan. Except for Inter Milan. Here we go. Actually, Twice this year. No, I think one drew. Yeah. One drew, one won in Berlin. Ah, yeah, you're right. Well, now Alberto's team, Inter Milan, they just won Serie A for the first time in how long? How long since it's been? Last time was 2010, so 10 years, 11 years, man. Wow. Long time. Well, congratulations. I guess Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Forza Inter. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Marco. I mean, it's good to hear it from you actually feels good and what do you guys make of a, a big big word in the soccer world these days has been the super league that was when i was in spain all of a sudden i wake up in the middle of the night sunday night maybe like three o'clock in the morning wake up to take a piss check my phone and what do i know they're like ending the champions league starting the super league what did that mean to you super league i mean actually it's a big topic, maybe, because, mm-hmm. I mean, even after this scandal about the Super League, actually, after two weeks here in Italy, for example, they just eliminated, like, the third teams from the Italian Cup. So, actually, the Italian Cup from the next year, they're going to play only the first division and second division, so Serie A and Serie B. Yeah, so that's so the all the teams, they complain about the Super League, but then the Italian Federation invented this new style of the Italian Cup. So, I mean, I mean, right now, football is only, I think, question about money. But, I mean, I really, I mean, I'm a romantic guy, you know, especially for <laughs> football. So, I mean, I, of course, I didn't agree with all this Super League. I mean, of course, even due to the COVID. For the people that are, are watching and maybe don't understand, like what, what is the Super League? How would you put it up, Arto? Super League, well, that's a, a bunch of teams, probably the strongest teams around, but also the one... So the they are more in depth. The strongest one. The no, they are the strongest. The strongest, the richest, but the ones that have more depths as well. And so um, they basically wanted to create a different tournament with a different, probably financial setup as well, for which they could get more money to reinvest in the club. I think the, the trigger was the fact that UEFA. Uh, correct me, guys, if I'm wrong, because you know probably better than me. But what I know is that UEFA wasn't giving out much of the money that they get out of the you know of the um, uh, TV rights and all these kind of things and so they wanted to create a you know 
um, a closer group of teams that could like split mm-hmm. that money among them and not with other teams. That's that's what I. But the main difference between because there is the Champions League and then you have the domestic league. So you have a league in Italy, you have a league in England, you have a league in Spain, as well as Germany, Lithuania, every league in, in its own. And some teams from each league they qualify for the Champions League, and you qualify based on your performance. And even though it's usually like the teams that split off into the Super League, like in Italy it was Inter Milan, AC Milan, Juventus. In Spain it was Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid. In England I think it was six: Tottenham, Chelsea, Man United, Spurs, Spurs Liverpool, Arsenal. Arsenal. So you had like twelve teams. Arsenal, fucking, they're in like ninth place. I think yeah, Spurs, G- Spurs, Gary Spurs. Neville, Gary Neville's like Arsenal right now couldn't even beat the champions of San Marino. What do they think they're doing in the Super League? But either way, they wanted to have this closed shop where no one else could come into this league and qualify, and you wouldn't have these miracle stories like a Leicester City or even an Ajax, Atalanta, even Ajax, or, or an Ajax. So then people got upset because in football we like to have this ideal of romanticism. I think you, yeah, you, you should like yeah. You, you should get there if you deserve it, no matter where you come from, no matter uh, you know uh, how money you have or how much money you bring to the business. Because okay, football became a business. Let's be honest, it's mm-hmm. a business right now. Okay, but that's not what supporters and most of the players and the people actually you know involved in that business feel like. They feel it's like sport. It's like fun. It's something for the people where you know you can start playing in the street when you're you know two three four years old and on and then end up like winning a champions league at some point yeah, we're too romantic. think about jamie vardy think about jamie vardy i was reading about the guy the actually day. even today i read something about liverpool like they signed a contract or they found an agreement with the with the supporters yes they said they're giving well like the supporters group one seat on the board to make decisions because the Liverpool supporters were, I mean, every, every, the big thing with the Super League was the supporters were so upset. I mean, you saw people in Manchester like basically having a riot before the yeah. game the other day. I know a lot of the Italian supporters were very upset about this idea that the, the teams were going to break apart and start this league. So the, the Liverpool owners, they were actually pushing for it because the new Super League was sort of on the American sports model. And they, Fenway Sports Group, the Liverpool owners, they own the Boston Red Sox and they wanted to have... The biggest thing is now, if you don't qualify for the Champions League, is a huge financial penalty. Like, we'll see if Juventus qualifies this year. They're kind of fucked if they don't because how do you afford all the salaries if you don't get all that big money? How much money do you get for making... Well, let's say... I, I think I heard the other day, like... No idea. Liverpool, Liverpool got like 90 million dollars 90 million pounds for winning the Champions League and I think Chelsea in the same uh, season only got 20 million for winning the Europa League so there's quite a big gap between the prize money that you get and I guess you make money from playing those games like you the teams make money for the publicity that television contracts right 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 oh wow but then what I don't get about the Super League is like I woke up and I just see Willie, you're making like crazy angry stories. Like and this is just what everywhere. Everyone's just like so angry and upset. And like as I learned more, I still don't understand what people are upset about. As I understand, it's just a bunch of rich dudes at the top trying to like make this go through and they dropped it. And then everyone was saying, This is a horrible idea, let's not do it. And then it didn't happen. But people are still upset. So I don't really understand I feel like it's just the people at the top that made stupid decisions. And now it's not happening, and so it seems like a good thing. But but the the, the fact of the matter is that the, these guys, these owners that aren't accountable to anyone, they have literally the ability. And not only would the Super League uh, be bad for the fans, it would also directly harm a lot of the lower teams because right now, like you have football infrastructure. But it didn't and they, happen. Yeah, I know. But the fact is that they wanted it to happen. They, they disregarded. But they couldn't it. have done it like themselves. They could have actually. They, they arranged everything. They, you know what they didn't yeah, consider? They found yeah. by exactly. JP Morgan, no. JP Morgan underwrote yeah. the, the 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, and one of the biggest. Or Goldman Sachs, even. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but one, one of the biggest bank yeah. in all over the world. So actually, they already planned everything. But that clearly gonna, wasn't I enough. Think, I think didn't, didn't a bunch of teams were just like, okay, then if you play in that, you can't play in the Premier League or something like that. Yeah. Where, didn't people stand up and say, like, no, you can't do it this? Did, but it took an enormous outpouring of public pressure. Even the governments oh, got involved. Okay, that's why people actually, had to get yeah, upset. Yeah, the first one, the English government first. Yeah, they, Boris Johnson said, yes. we're not going to allow this to happen. <laughs> it would be crippling. Boris. It would be crippling if of you think course. about some of the How lower... How many hinters there are inside, you know, like... Politics. Interest, yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, Italy seems like it's a very cloak and dagger sort of uh, football. Has a lot of behind the scenes, let's say, corruption involved with the. I mean, every every yeah, league, but yeah. I think everywhere in football. Cultural poly, right? That was in Italy. Two thousand six. What was that? I think Monji, because I mean, I think there was there was, there was a few think, teams, a few teams like paid referees to win, bribed matches. referees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the darkest page of uh, of the Italian football history book, I think. I don't know how you felt about it, but I felt like really, you know, when you Actually, when you Atalanta love, got, I, I got like I think a penalization. For yeah, you Milan, Juventus. Oh, Atalanta was several, involved in it. Yeah, minus typical, one, typical. Inter was one of the only teams that wasn't, right? Correct. Yeah, well, this apparently. Is no, no, we were not involved. So at some point, well, what happened is that our Jacinto Ferretti. Uh, he basically like he called. They have some phone calls recorded where he was trying to tell the the, um, the designator of the referee, so the guy deciding who would referee which match. He was trying to tell him, okay, listen, I mean, we had bad referees for like five games in a row. Now it's time maybe to get a good one, and that's why eventually it was in charge because that's not really bribing. He's just telling people, okay, please look out for us as well. But what happened, as Marco said, is Juventus was basically, you know. Uh, paying referees just to take certain decisions and they would literally do you remember that video of Moji Juventus uh, Juventus in the changing room yes he went to the referees changing room and to give him literally a couple of Rolex watches yeah yeah that was one of the yeah it, it was sad man so sad really both both parties got punished the teams and the referees right Yes. I, yeah, the referees. Yes. I don't remember the name. Inter got, I mean, Juventus got relegated to Serie B, which was like pretty crazy. To like, me, that was not enough, by the way. That's the, the worst thing you can do in football, in team sport, is to basically cheat and bribe, you know, people, the referees and judges. And Atalanta whatever. bribed? I don't remember. I don't Maybe it was 2012, the other scandal. Uh, a lot of scandals, a lot of scandals in Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, like, I remember. That's probably what you meant with your question, right? <laughs> but, then, but then at the yeah. same time, 2006 was the year you won the World Cup. So it was like a high and a low for Italian football. Yeah, actually, even when we Italy won the, in 1982, the third World Cup, that year we had another scandal. I don't remember about what, but like... I don't know, you know, like, I think this kind of situation in Italy, you know, they create, like, more Emotional chemistry in the group, and uh-huh. they fight all together. Actually, there was an amazing group in 2006. And what do you think about football in Hungary? They have a lot of passion, I think. Hungarians have a lot of passion, I think, even more than Italian. I mean, I remember two months ago, I played... More than Italian, really? I think, like, two months ago, I played against Reat. That Reat is a team which, like, I think, 10 years ago, was in first division in Hungary. And of course, the supporters they couldn't attend to the stadium, but they will see they were singing out of the stadium for like ninety minutes all the time, and it was pretty crazy. You would see the same in Italy. Come on, I think it's pretty much the same. They're equally uh, passionate to football. They have an I mean, equal passion. Uh, I don't know. Well, we've all had a pretty cool experience playing for Budapest Celtic, yeah. uh, which is the expat sort of centered team that we joined uh, 
when we moved here. That's how we all met each other. That's how we all met each other, and that's been the real like basis of a lot of our friendships. And Where was he? Yes. Still champions, actually, Alberto. Are you? The Greens. Are you? I, I'm, not listen, I'm not hearing you, man. So, Willie, Tom, that's where, that's where we met in Slovakia, playing a friendly with a Celtic, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We got smoked. We got smoked 6-1. I remember no. you had a big night, right? Yeah, we got absolutely <laughs> shit-faced afterwards. That was insane. That I mean, was I so was, fun. Yeah. Do you remember who scored the only goal? You scored the goal. Yeah, because you, because you flopped. Free. That was the only free kick. No, come on. I didn't flop. Or maybe I did. But you the did. point is that I scored an amazing free kick. Probably the yeah. only one I ever scored in my life. So. But you never score ugly goals, actually, Alberto. Thank you, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> How sweet of you. What's happening? There is a camera. Marco is on his best behavior. <laughs> <laughs> We should do this more often, guys. Yeah. It's awesome. You just so keep Marco I, with headphones on for the rest of his life. <laughs> That's funny, but yeah, Celtic is family. Yeah, uh, I think it's family, and and there actually I've seen like a lot of good players. Um, Celtic, um, the four of us, and probably the top eleven, I would say, starting eleven, my dream team. I don't know about Marco actually, but I think I can fit you in. Yeah. Well, for the, for those of you that don't know, Marco is like a, a terrier midfielder. He works really hard, Jack wins Russell. the ball back, kind of similar maybe to like a Mascherano. Uh, in a sense, no more quality. More no, Mascherano's fucking quality. No, no more quality. Like I guess he's too defensive. Yeah, you're more of like a playmaker. I'm sorry, that's that, that was probably serving. I used to love Mascherano though. It was supposed to be a compliment. And uh, did he play good in Liverpool? Oh, amazing. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was yeah, my yeah. favorite player. Yeah, yeah I he won him. a Champions League with you, right? In mm, no, because no. he came after. He, he right was after got to the final against AC Milan in 2007. Yeah. But uh, and Alberto is more of a striker. So so uh, Marco's midfielder, Alberto's striker. Goal scorer, yeah. box in the box. Tom is a jolly. Tom is a jolly, man. Jolly. What's a jolly? I mean, he can a jolly joker. Anywhere. So he can play anywhere on the pitch. That's ah, how we call it. In really? Yeah. I've something learned. Learned something new on this podcast. A yeah. jolly. I like that. You're a fucking jolly. 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 I'm just jolly. Put me somewhere. I'll be jolly. And I'm just like the uh, athletic American that goes the right back. hard in the tackles and has a terrible touch. <laughs> <laughs> A good show. Good no, show. I, remember, I remember your performance in the final, the tournament we played last summer. Oh, yeah. We lost. No, Willie, you, yeah, we lost, but last minute, uh, one man down for 70 minutes. And I remember you, you, you recovered the ball, do you remember? Right at the corner. Just literally, I don't know, you, you, you caught the guy off guard and you just like took the ball and put it in the middle of the box and Cavs scored an easy goal. And that was the free one. The yeah. beginning of a huge comeback until, yeah. Um, I blacked out. I don't remember what happened. It was just a rush. I, I was so that. pumped. I, was, I remember. <laughs> yeah. But that's been really a great thing about being on that team is that you've made so many friends from around the world. And that's one of the beautiful things. Forgetting about, you know, we talk about the Super League and all the big money that's involved in football. But for us, I think playing is really the, the true beauty of the, of the sport. That's what I don't understand. So the game is a beautiful thing. We play it because it's fun. And then at what point, because everybody always talks about like soccer's corrupt, like the systems are corrupt. And I don't understand that. But like why, what makes it corrupt? And why is there so much money in it? Is it because people pay money to watch? It's such a giant spectator sport? Well, it's just, it's the biggest, if you think about advertising and like what people pay for and like content, if it's any sort of content, whether it's movies, whether it's film, whether it's television, so- soccer is something that captivates people's eyeballs and they're not only their eyeballs but their emotions so it's very easy like if you own a club to manipulate people's emotions and and basically use it as your personal piggy bank but then again like it's very financially difficult to own a club you don't really actually necessarily make that much money yeah not not at all uh, my dad you know guys my dad is president of a club in italy like low, the lowest division but we have an academy so we have you know young kids from i think five years old onwards uh, seven eight teams 
takes a lot of money to run a club on a yearly basis. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. And, uh, and so, of course, it's not easy. When do you start getting money? At any level, actually. It depends on how you run the club. Yeah. You know, it's a matter of transparency, interest, right? You yeah, know. I mean, this is even another problem about Super League. I mean, like, no one is caring, taking care about the lowest division in Italy, the amateur football. I mean, everybody was, like, hit by coronavirus, especially the amateur football. How can you run a team if you don't have any money? So Super League is only, you know, like, this, I don't know... Uh, It, it's yeah I understand where you come from I mean again example my dad he just talked to the local municipalities and told them okay you know what either you support us or I drop it because a lot of sponsors just withdrew their sponsorships and you know we have as, as much actually said, in Italy in Italy they started the league the amateur league in Italy they started and then after three matches they said okay guys we cannot due to coronavirus yeah and at least in Bergamo Same everywhere, I think. But I don't know if it, if it works this way in Italy, but I had a friend who played in Iceland, and when I went there, I asked him, because it was like this town of 2,000 people, and they had a club, and there was like a stadium, and there were a bunch of people that were at the game. Like Basically, most of the people at the town came to watch the game. And I was like, how in the world do you ha does this tiny town in Iceland... Like, how does Iceland have three, four divisions of soccer? And he said that the way it works is like any company gets tax write-offs for any money that they donate to like a local club, like to a sports club. And so that's how they ensure that sports clubs get funded because like the fisheries and all the big companies in that town in Iceland sponsored the club and they wrote that off for taxes. Is that the same how it works in Italy? Because like that to me sounds wholesome. That sounds like a good kind way of. to give entertainment to I the mean, people. Like, so that's, that's the best way to, to promote, to finance these small realities. And I agree with you, it should be the way everywhere. But in Italy, it's more like the opportunity for certain people to, to recycle, recycle money. money uh, <laughs> so you, you flip know, the like coin, you the flip the coin. The company and, and like yeah. to, you know, because like don't, don't declare any, I don't know, any... Because the gain is different. So let's say that you get like, you're going to pay random numbers, 30% of taxes, and they're going to tell, okay, if you invest in a club 20%, you only uh, okay. pay us like 5% more. So we yeah. give you this kind of 5%. Only this one, not only this one, even to, I mean, to avoid the declaration. Of yeah, but that's an example. But and, and that's a way to, yeah, that's a way around it. But the main thing is that by recycling money, you know, they can, you know, eventually gain man, much more than what they would save by actually um, paying taxes the way I said. So yeah, we would call it money laundering. laundering yeah, recycling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's not recycling, it's money laundering. Yeah, recycling is from Italian. Yeah, yeah it's a proper translation. <laughs> And what about you, Mark? Are you staying in... Alberto's taking off for the Netherlands. Are you staying in Hungary for the next 20 years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if I don't find any other opportunity right now, it's like I'm struggling a bit. But yeah, I mean, I don't know my plan in the future. I mean, I'm trying to solve it, to uh -huh. solve it out. But let's see, let's see. But you, you love Budapest. You're, you're like, love, when, when Marco's walking down the street with his big hair, you know, everybody knows who he is. Oh, Marco, Marco. He has to bat away the... No, of course, guys. I mean, I love Budapest. It's like, it's been a good experience for me. I think it's time to make a new step. Do Where? you have plans, ideas? Yeah, I mean, Spain, for sure. Uh -huh. but, Where? Uh, I mean, I would love to the south, but it's, it's pretty hard. To but I thought San Sebastian is your place. No, San Sebastian is the north. But you live there. I live there. You don't uh, want to go back? Uh, I don't know. I prefer, I think, the south. Okay. I called San Sebastian the Bergamo of Spain. <laughs> people are a bit 
not cold, but like you have to, you know, fight a bit too. Is that a compliment or? <laughs> I don't like Bergamo people in general, so it's not a compliment. The Bergamaschi? Like, yeah, yeah. The really? Yeah, I mean, like they are a bit posh and like. Uh-huh. Snob. The mindset. The mindset is really bad. How is it? Isn't it like next to Milan? How can a city yeah. next to Milan be snobby? I thought Milan is kind of snobby. Because it's small, you know. Like people remain in Bergamo and they stay there oh, okay, because see, they I think see, that the city is like beautiful. They can give you everything, but like it's not true. Mm-hmm. And of course, your mindset is gonna be always close. And Milano is even more snob than Bergamo, I think. I think there is a historical reason. Milan, you told me about it once. Yeah, but if, I don't think so because I mean Milan is like super international. They, Milan can offer you uh-huh. everything, and there is every kind of people and every kind of typology of people actually. So it's not. I, I think it's pretty different. Mass. I mean, I don't like Milan neither, <laughs> but this is totally different. What? Where? Where do you like in Italy? In Italy. I mean, I will tour Sicily. Right now. Sicily. Sicily. I was Sicily. about to yeah, say yeah. Sicily would be amazing, guys. But like, it's really hard to find a job. No, you don't. Fish? Become a fisherman. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, yes, indeed. You know how to fish? Nah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. But you've been working on your uh, Hungarian lately, haven't you? Okay, slowly, slowly. Give us something. I learned Halmos last day. Almos. Yeah. Sleepy, right? Almos. Yeah, it's kind of. It's like sleepy. Yeah. Almost was actually yeah. I guess I'm doing this course in like within the company, but I mean, like, it's not so good. I mean, like, I did. I don't study a lot. I, I should like take my time and study a bit of Hungarian. But actually, Tom now is a pro. Ten minutes a day. Ten minutes a day. I don't that's do it. Oh, yeah, but if you do ten minutes a day, that's a lot more. That's ten minutes more than you're doing right oh, now. Of course, of yeah. course. But I don't think it's enough. More better than what you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. Step and by me, step, Marcus. Step yeah. by step. Step by step. You'd yeah. be surprised how, how how far you could get. No, of course. After like three weeks of that, you'd be surprised. I was going with your Hungarian. It's okay. I need to practice more. I've stopped practicing. Uh-huh. And that, that's a problem. Marco, just not, in, not improving. What's your favorite bar in Budapest? Bar? Yeah. Uh, there are a lot. Cospot. No, no, Cospot, no. I think now, I mean, Fekete is pretty cool. It's pretty local. We were there last yeah, night for a pint or two. I like it. Then is that why you're a bit hungover? Mm, a bit, but because I didn't have dinner. I think I don't know. But then there is another cool bar in Buda, close to Salkalmantaria Nemet Bar. Is it correct? Nemet Bar. Nemet Bar. Nemde Bar. Nemde Bar. Nemde Bar. Mm-hmm. I, I like it even. Yeah, Nemde Bar. It's, it's got a little bit cool. of a techno vibe. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, like vinyls, they play music. I like it. What's the name of the little pub? We went to, I think it was me, you, and Tom, really. The outdoor one in Buda? Yeah, the one up in the hills. Yeah, like just called Balint. The Balint guy. Balint, because yeah, Marco's been there also, yeah. This is a, a pretty hidden gem bar. It's like on the backside of Roja Dome in the, uh, what do they call it? The Pasharet. And it's uh, called Balint Kavezo, and just some guy, Balint, he owns the bar, and it's like his house, and then it's a garden, and downstairs, and it's a very cool vibe. Yeah. I loved it. They told me a lot of teenagers in the past, they were used to go there after school. Yeah, well, that's, that, I went back, so I found it in the middle of coronavirus last year. I was on a run, and it was while everything was closed. I hope I'm going to get them in trouble for saying this, but they were somehow open. And I ran past, and I was like, whoa, that's an open bar. And I, I hadn't seen one in months, so I went downstairs, and I didn't have any money, but he gave me a free beer. And I was like, nice, let's go back. And so then the second time when we went back there, I took Alexa, and then Marco met with... Uh, 
Frederica, Frederica. and uh, what the hell is that guy's name from Sardinia, but not Lorenzo. He's uh, Enrico, Enrico. Enrico, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I got so so drunk. <laughs> oh, I heard about Actually, this. I've never seen you. Like never seen me never, this drunk. No, never. I think I fell into the bushes on the way out. Like I was like, the next time I went there, I had to go. <laughs> I was like, not drunk, but I'm sorry. I'm I apologize. Sorry. But uh, yeah, great bar though. Great bar. It's cool because it's like uh, yeah, it's particular. It's not like what yeah. you find in the city. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the, really the literally one of the first bar open after the lockdown. Yeah, in April I think. It's been a it's been a long lockdown. I mean, Hungary was November. Everything was closed until now. Crazy. Yeah, think about other countries like in Italy since April last year. Really, like that was a, a full year. So I think we've been lucky, guys. Yeah. But actually, here the lockdown was totally different than Italy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like in Italy was a proper lockdown. I mean, they. Is, are, is, Italy, is Italy open now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's opening yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Italy really got traumatized because you guys got hit first and the hardest, especially Bergamo. Bergamo, Bergamo, Bergamo was, was like... the first. Fucking, yeah. you had like the, the, the line of like ambulances and tanks on that picture or whatever. That was like really traumatizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, my, my parents are still a bit like shocked like, mm-hmm. from this situation. Yeah, my parents too. I think we were really lucky to be here in Hungary because, as Marco said, everything uh, everything rolled out yeah. differently. Yeah. We, we could go out for a run. We well, especially, I mean, last summer, for my money, Hungary was one of the best last places summer, to be yeah, in Europe because yeah, yeah. it was relatively, like... Normal. Open, yeah, yeah. Normal. We just got hit really hard for a short period of time in this last wave, which was, like, w- the death rates and everything were really bad. But overall, if you look at the whole picture from last spring to now, Hungary didn't have it as bad as other places. Yeah, I agree. How long do you think before like all this becomes a distant memory you never think about? You think it'll be that <laughs> way this ne- summer? Nah. I think by next year it will be a long lost memory. I, I don't think so. I think uh, like socially speaking, uh, yeah, that's this what I mean. will affect people's behaviors. It will affect mine probably. I, I mean, I can't be hundred percent sure about it, but that's my feeling. I think even people forget about it. I mean, like, but forgetting is one thing, but reacting even unconsciously yeah, yeah. to memories yeah, yeah, is, different. is different. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah. No, I, th- I think definitely we'll have some subconscious scarring and transformation. I mean, some of it's like potentially a good thing. For instance hygienically like i think about some of my habits before coronavirus and they were like disgusting like absolutely disgusting i'm just i mean especially when i was younger but even so like just sharing like drinks unnecessarily and now it's like almost gives you a visceral reaction yeah. like oh my god but you think about back then you wouldn't think twice oh give me a bite of that give me a sip of that and just, that's what i mean you're gonna you're gonna think that you think that now a year's gonna go by and yes, you're gonna be in a yes, situation where you're gonna get a drink shared with you or you're gonna have a table shared dish and you're gonna think like, oh, it's kind of weird. But you're gonna end up doing it and then it's gonna be like less weird. So then the next time it happens, you're gonna feel a little bit less weird. A year from now, you're not gonna, you're gonna go back to the way you were acting before. Most people will, I think. Yeah, I agree. Next time I'm gonna want to get a bite of your pizza, I'm gonna have you sign a declaration saying whether you've been sick in the last 14 days. And stuff like that. <laughs> Be ready. Well, I I'd like to think that this sticks, but I, I, I don't see it happening. No, me I mean, it's, me it's, it's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, there is some case also to be made, like we need to get used to each other's germs and humans have been living this way sort of close together for such a long time. And it does make you a little bit more resilient if you like don't aren't scared all the time. So I don't know. But then again, you look at like some of the Asian countries and they got hit by an earlier wave of viruses than us back in 2002 or 2006, whatever it was with the right. SARS. And you see like Chinese tourists and they always wear masks. Maybe that's more about just their use of the pollution in Beijing, but maybe also i don't know no i I think that 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 might be something that sticks like mask wearing and travel and stuff like that maybe but 
I hope. I mean, I hope li- very little of it sticks. I'm very sick of all the coronavirus bullshit. But yeah, gotta live with it for a little more. Yeah. So, and again, I think it's gonna be the youngest generations who will suffer a bit more. You know, you know, imagine those like. 18, 20 years old folks who are about to go on Erasmus or the young, you know, kids that could not socialize, you know, so it's going to be tough. And in some ways they might also be like rocketing into the, like, imagine if you were a kid finishing college, doing everything remotely, and then you go into work and you're like already in a remote universe. Like, I don't know, there could be, you could look at it in a way where they're like being conditioned for the future of work as well. They're just being conditioned to become corporate slaves. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there, there is some case to be made that this has all been like orchestrated by some shadowy uh, world order, and maybe also runs the Super League. I don't know. Yeah, and, and yeah, but it's, it's even it <laughs> yeah, Tell me about this guy, because that's the big thing with the Super League is oh, that there's fine. this like comic book Alberto villain, more than the this comic book guy. villain that owns Juventus, or he's not owns it. His family, Agnelli. So, yeah, but I think the father was a, historically the father so, was yeah, a it's a different guy. generation I mean, it was exactly. A, was so, a gentleman. Yeah, the, the, the yeah, the old the old the father was a gentleman. Yes. And and yeah, a gentleman, a bit weird, but was a gentleman. And they also own Fiat, the car Fiat, company. So there's always been like a mix of, Mar- yeah. as Mark said, interest in there. You know, Fiat, the government, Mark Juventus. Mark wasn't you know. involved by no. I Juventus think or only Fiat. No, never. Only Fiat. Only Fiat. Okay. Yeah, but that's besides the point. So Agnelli, this guy, new generation, you know, four years old guy, I think, running in his forties. You know, perfect English, always being, you know, socializing, networking with people, and he became like. I think vice president for UEFA, something like that, was running Juventus no, very well. Really? Yes, running Juventus, vice president. So he was like very close to, to yeah, he's some, some sort of corporate job in the UEFA. Yeah, for yeah, sure. exactly. So he um, he's always been smart. They say he's been running Juventus very well uh, until they bought Ronaldo two years ago. That's that was debatable, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why he didn't like really evaluate the, the situation now with the Super League properly because he did probably he underestimated the power of you know fans people. and and the yeah, power of people mainly fans and players coaches really those people you know just playing everything the, the, everything <laughs> I don't know what they had in mind really I don't know if you guys know about EuroLeague for basketball I don't want to uh-huh. extend the topic but it's, the, it's kind of the same no the same happened for basketball like. 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, where this brand EuroLeague like took over from um, FIBA, you know, the organization planning everything about, you know, the Basketball Champions League. And uh, they did it very well, so much better than how the Superliga tried to approach this Mm -hmm. whole thing. And most of all, they already owned all the media, the marketing. So they basically owned everything except the organization of the events. So for them, it was really, really easy and fast to just say from one day to another, I put together 20 teams. I have all the infrastructures, everything ready there to run a tournament. I don't need to start from scratch. Yeah. And I have 20 teams, not 12. So there were differences. Yeah, right, right. For basketball, it went through. Now we have yeah. only Euroliga. But how is it working in Euroliga? I mean, like- it's working with licenses. So it's a similar concept as uh, the Super League, but much more articulated and much better. Mm-hmm. But the teams say. are always the same? No, here? no. you get a license for like two, three years depending on your financial background and your um, uh, your sport results basically, like what you achieve on a yearly basis. And uh, and it, that rotates every two, three years, right? So you get a license, you get it for like four years, five years, six years, it really depends. So there's usually a bunch of like 15, 20, 18 teams which are the same and then other teams rotate. That's, that's how it works. Yeah, I don't think that this Super League topic is over. I think in... If they, if they, in ten years, fifteen years, we're gonna talk about again. 
Well, it's least. interesting because also now, like the Champions League is the, the format is also very advantageous for the of big course, teams. UEFA, they're not angels. Guys. It's not. Yeah, that's no. a, that was the e- Super League was the best thing that ever happened to UEFA because now they like look like the heroes, which is ridiculous. But yeah. what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? We can only just. This part of the game. What if, what if they had just like a fan? I mean, fan submission. Just like, how do we build a better league? Do you think? Do you think that there should be a better version of the Champions League? The, the problem the problem with the Champions League is it's just so like dictated by money like even now they want to make the group state the group state Champions League when it first started was the European Cup and you had one winner from each league all over Europe coming into the tournament so it was really like a pan-European thing uh-huh. that showed all showcased all the teams from all over slowly it's become like the four English teams the four Spanish teams the four Italian teams are kind of the dominant force let me ask you a question What do you think is the main reason why nowadays clubs have to spend more and more every year? It's not, the answer is not inflation. Why? It's wh- not. <laughs> Indeed. I think the answer is players cost more yeah. year after year. Okay. And that's why I get my personal, you know, uh, solution to this maybe non-existing problem. I don't know because people <coughs> like Champions League. They enjoy it every year and, you know, they wouldn't think about changing it is salary cap. That's the American model. Uh, that's how you kind of like limitate the, the amount of money that goes around every year, depending on how much money the business produces. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why I like the, the salary cap model that you have in the U.S., guys. I don't I know what that works. means. A salary cap is like, for instance, in the, each league in America has a slightly different way of doing it. Like in baseball, you can break the salary cap, but you have to pay a tax. But basically every team in like the NFL, for example, every team has to only spend like $60 million on their entire team salary. Oh. That makes sense. And so then it has a little bit more equality. Right. So, yeah, there are different dynamics kicking in. But uh, from the point of view of, you know, how much teams can be competitive. It's much more balanced. Much more balanced. Precisely. So you mentioned before what is the price to win the Champions League, right? In the NBA, for example, you get a prize, number one in the draft next year, if you get to the bottom of the ranking that year. It's interesting because America is such a capitalist place and yet our sports teams and our sports leagues are more of a socialist model whereas Europe traditionally has a more of a socialist ethos. How is the American sports league system more socialist? Because of the salary cap. cap. And if you do the worst, you get a reward. You get to become more competitive by getting the best player. But still, that doesn't make you better. Like the Panthers or that that North Carolina that have been the worst team in the NBA. They finish last every year. But that depends yeah. on the management. So imagine you have like, as Willie said, 60, 100, 200 millions to spend in the next five-year cycle. And you've got to figure out how to spend it, how to put together the uh-huh. team and everything. And I think that's, that's the challenge, right? It's not just about the players and how they play. It's how you put them together. And okay. Yeah. But for example, But what happened to Manchester City? You know, Manchester City like, got eliminated from Champions League for two years. And then they said, no. You can join Champions League. I yeah, that's the that. failure of financial for play, probably. It was never, like, applied strictly as it should have exactly. been. Exactly, they don't, yeah. I mean, financial fair play was supposed to be, like, a salary cap in a way, but it was just, like, very poorly the administered. they don't care about the... Uh, Well, Man City, for instance, because it was supposed to be that you could only spend the money that you generated, but Man City is owned by the Emirates of Dubai or whatever, at the, uh, Abu Dhabi. And so they could say, oh, like now the random like oil company that, Abu, or not oil, but it doesn't matter, whatever, whatever random affiliate is going to give Man City 
200 million pounds a year because that's going to be the new sponsor. Oh, so now okay. they generate 200 million pounds a year okay. as like Man City, but no one really would ever sponsor in a fair market Man City for 200 million because you know they're just a tin pot club that. <laughs> yes, it's, it's it's terrible. Really. But I also like we should like really stop watching. But then you have. But then I, I yeah. I, this is what I don't understand because this is what I started hearing when the Super League exploded. It's like okay, let's stop like watching soccer. And, and, and I don't understand yeah. where that comes from. Is it because of the corruptness of the? No, because if you stop watching, you don't. I mean, you don't. You know, you don't give money to the, this system. Right. And you would just so you would just drop the greatest game. I mean, I would like say, he would I would, stop. Yeah, I mean, I would. You would just go to local Hungarian games. Yes, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. Like Tom Holland, the guy yeah. that we saw yeah, before when we were getting Holland, a chicken sandwich. Yeah, he was sitting down there. Oh, really? Yeah, just eating the chicken sandwich. <laughs> yeah, I asked him. I was like, yo, are you going to watch the games on Sunday? Like the, all the final Premier League games. And he's like, I don't know. All the games are going to be on Sunday at the same time. And he was like, what? I was like, the Premier League. I was like, oh, oh yeah, no, I'm not. What? He's just going to go to like, he prefers to go to like, you know, some random. But then if you have if you have like yeah football yeah, especially so, during the coronavirus period with no fans in the stadiums has gotten like a little bit less passionate for me but then like the other day when i saw allison score that 95th minute goal i yeah, now you're back on board crazy now you're back on board <laughs> to, to paint a vivid image in your head i was completely stark naked watching the game on my bed and when allison scored i just was like running around the house like <laughs> it's fucking amazing the goalie in the 95th minute have you ever seen that uh, by goalkeeper. There was a goalkeeper in Italy who scored against Juventus. That was like he, he probably committed three fouls to push that ball into the goal. Uh, but it's past. Pretty funny. He's the goalie. I want to try some of this Texas whiskey. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you to Jared, Chris, and DJ. They uh, they introduced me to TX whiskey. Uh, TX. Beautiful nights in the hotel when I was working there. So you've been to Texas a few times. I've been there, yes. Uh, I've been there for like five months overall in 2018, like two or three occasions. I've never been there. Never been to Texas. Right, it's it's interesting. Uh, Lovely people, really lovely people, but it's a very controversial um, state or, yeah, I would say reality in general. Like you talk to people and you realize, you know, there, there are many... Many differences really compared to, you know, if you compare Italy and Texas, you know, I could never imagine what it would be. <laughs> and there are many connections as there are many, uh, you know, uh, differences. And as I said, it's controversial, but I enjoyed my time there. It was great. So none of you have ever been to Texas? No. Marco, you should go. Have you been? I don't think I, I have. Wow. I mean, I've flown Guys, I'm It's, so it's actually the biggest state in the I US, is it? It was a pleasure All to right. talk with you. Fairly Finally. well, Marco. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, see you tomorrow, guys, no? Absolutely. See you tomorrow. It's a big weekend for Alberto, the farewell. Yeah, it's going to last three days. All my time is for you. You cannot complain, you know that. I'm not. Actually, it just started and it's been awesome, so... We appreciate you coming, Marco. Before your match and everything, it's really... It shows a great sign of uh, commitment and solidarity. We're we're happy for it. But see you soon. Forza Atalanta. Forza Atalanta. Forza Atalanta. Ci vediamo. Ci vediamo. Now go and shine. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Good luck, Marco. It's been great. Thank you. Uh, All right. Well, here's here's for Marco and okay. Texas. For Marco and Texas. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao, Marco. Love you. All right. Quick. Now that he's gone, we can say bad things about him. About Atlanta or about Marco? About Marco. How's this nice. whiskey? Do you like it? Mm-hmm. It's nothing extraordinary, but no, it's good. It's very, very nice. What kind of notes? What kind of notes are you getting? 
hickory hickory wood nice uh nice. some mellow caramel maybe a little uh buttered popcorn on the <laughs> caramelized popcorn caramelized popcorn thank you alberto you got it thank very you good very good I think we got about 15 minutes left in this uh show it's been a pleasure so far is there any topics that you wanted to delve into alberto well, guys, uh, I'm moving to the Netherlands. So how about we link up to the Netherlands? Cause how, where, where are you going in the Netherlands? So we're going to The Hague or Den Haag. Uh-huh. Um, it's like a, a town, I think it's the third biggest town in, um, in the Netherlands after Amsterdam and Rotterdam, of course. Uh, it's on the North Sea, so it's very windy, pretty cold and very rainy. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to cope with that. But, uh, <laughs> It's a very famous city, especially from like an international uh, diplomatic perspective. I think the international criminal courts there, some of the other things uh, with the European... Universe. Yeah, I don't remember specifically, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of expats, a lot of international uh, um, realities over there, different kinds. So we are excited, uh, really excited. Fish. You can eat fish there. So uh, the only thing that we really wanted to have in the hug was like either a rooftop or a little yard. That was the condition sine qua non in Latin. It's like the only requirement of the of the accommodation, and we got one. Nice. So second thing, I'm gonna buy barbecue, um, a barbecue machine or something, nice. and, and then I'm gonna buy a lot of fish every day, probably. Uh, it's Gas awesome. barbecue or charcoal? I haven't decided yet. I'm trying to make this decision now. It's a big one. I don't have much experience with those because in Italy, you know, we, we cook on the on the stone, so we have this like uh, these local stones, um, and then we use those to cook. So in Italy, like, everyone in Italy, or this is like most most of the people. Well, where I come from in the north, I would say, but it depends uh-huh. on where you come from because in the north we have a lot of mountains and we have a lot of caves. You call them uh-huh. caves, caves where you caves, can caves. get some. Yeah, and so it's cool. We use like uh, this material to um, build pots to do slow cooking. Wow! So you guys have, for example, the smokers. Uh-huh. Right, especially in Texas. Uh, in Italy, we have this uh, this uh, pots that are made of this uh, stone, which is called pietra ollare, and you can cook amazing stuff in there. It's like seven, eight hours. You let wow. it go in an oven. Fantastic. That's cool. Yeah. But in the Netherlands, it's going to be mainly fish. <laughs> yeah, I guess up on the North Sea, they have a lot of fish. That's cool. I miss that in Budapest. Because, you know, yeah, landlocked. far from the sea here. It's, yeah. It is tough. Like, I love seafood. That was very nice in Spain when I was just down there. Like, you had very easily accessible fresh seafood, and it just makes all the difference. And it feels, I don't, there's a lot of like uh, hubbub nowadays about, like, there was that documentary on Netflix, Sea Spiracy or whatever. Everyone's talking about that. Anyway, my original point was that fish always felt to me a little bit more like ethical and healthy than meat. But then again, maybe it's not that ethical, but it does feel healthier. I think seafood is it's a little lighter. Bit, it's lighter. Yeah. You don't feel as you feel better after a salmon burger than after a barbecue, double patty, um, beef burger, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fact. That is um, for so, sure true. Yeah. That's for sure true. But one thing that the Netherlands has in common with Hungary is they're both like super flat. Uh-huh. So there are no mountains, hills whatsoever. It's super flat. Netherlands might even be flatter. I believe so, which yeah. is actually weird because Hungary yeah. is super flat, really. Yeah. What's the highest hill in Hungary, like 800,000 meters? Yeah, it's, it's not super high. I think it's uh, in the Matra, Matra Mount, or up, up in there, I forget the name. It's something Tetu, which is like rooftop, but yeah, it's not high at all. I mean, Hungary actually, their old regions in Transylvania and in Slovakia, they had a lot of mountains, but those have obviously shrunk and taken away or not taken away whatever you want to call it but either way yeah hungry alex always 
gets mad at me when I say Hungary is a flat country, but it is pretty flat. They do have nice like hills though. Like it is, especially in Buda. Buda is actually one of the, the more Buda hills. hills. Yeah, Buda hills are gorgeous, but it, it is, you know, coming from north of Italy. Like I miss mountains so much. <clears throat> I know you guys, uh, you don't have mountains. In well, he's like kind of flat. Iowa. I mean, New York is not mountainous, but easy access to Vermont where we went to school together in Vermont, a lot of mountains. Um, yeah, but out West is where the real mountains are. I mean, those even are taller than the Alps in the no probably maybe it's not a contest nah not really i don't know views like mountains uh i had a theory once that like if you're ever super sad or grieving you should go to a mountain because (laughs) when you look out from a mountain there's like so much going on you can't perceive all the information coming to you so you're just like overwhelmed with with fucking emotion and like you're just overwhelmed with like the outside and it matches grief i don't know when i thought about this but because when you're grieving you're like uh, like overwhelmed with emotion you like can't perceive everything um this is one thing when you said mountains is what i thought of and uh but people talk about how like the ocean is a beautiful view i but was about to say nothing you go, interesting about the ocean why not either you go on top of the mountains and you look at the world and the surface of the world or you go deep down by deep down i'm talking about like 100 meters not like five meters like we did in sardinia last summer that's not what you can see but i think there is a whole world not as big of course but as interesting in the ocean did you just make the statement that there's nothing interesting about the ocean i mean (laughs) if you look out at the ocean like from a boat or from the coastline it's not interesting it's just it's a never changing horizon of just like blue but people always say oh it's so beautiful and that's why i think i will hold on i'm going to disagree with that because like coastlines can be extraordinarily beautiful you have like but if you're looking out into the water... In the, okay, in the middle of the ocean, yeah, it's not beautiful. But like, if you're looking okay, out at the, true. At the yeah, waves okay. breaking on like the gorgeous sand beach... It's debatable, Tom. Okay, what you okay. said, it's really debatable. Okay. It depends on the coastline. Uh, it's a valid point. I see what you're I'm saying. I'm just saying, I, I wanted to like, work into the fact that flat places are interesting like it, it doesn't I, I don't think that the ocean's boring like i think it's beautiful but oh, it's not okay. because it has like endless features that you can like be lost in. it's because it's just an expansive beautiful place and that's why flat landscapes are also beautiful okay i can get behind that land ocean hungary is kind of like an ocean and it's they call like the alfold which is the great plain in hungary they call that the hungarian ocean the Great Plains, so, where or, the horse lords came from. Or the Balaton is kind of like the Hungarian Ocean. <laughs> oh, man. My disappointment the first time I went to Balaton, coming right. from Lake Como. Yeah. They told me there is a nice lake in Hungary. It's huge. It's like the biggest in Europe or something, right? The second biggest. I think it's the biggest, terms of biggest like, freshwater fresh lake. lake. Okay, in, yeah. So it wasn't Europe, far from, century from reality, from like truth. Yeah. And so they told me about this amazing lake, and I saw some pictures like, looks weird i mean the color of the water is nice you know but it's like the color of the water light, is beautiful it's crazy. lights reflected so i mean doesn't yeah. mean anything and then you step in it and there is <laughs> and there is you step in it and first of all i mean you step in it and there are rocks and artificial like you know these ladders basically going into the water and then you step in and it feels weird it's not sand it's not rocks like what is this i don't know if you ever asked it's sort of squishy mud. muddy what's silty that? stuff like what's that what's that consistency about it's, i mean hundreds and thousands of years of fish poop i'm not sure and uh, i think sometimes this might be half artificial as well no they kind of huh. level it out uh-huh. i believe dredge i, I know you know why i know that because some, uh, once a friend of mine lost a ring <coughs> and of course you gotta just dig down and try to find it and you have no idea what it looks like did you find it no of course not it was a jungle man was, was it like a wedding ring and uh, it was uh engagement oh ring, wow so, yeah 
It wasn't me though, so <laughs> that's how I know that the bottom of Lake Balaton is ugly. <laughs> it's really ugly. <laughs> Fun fact about the bottom of water bodies: that I don't. Well, it's not, probably shouldn't be saying this because I don't know the details. But dynamite is a combination of like an explosive thing and then something that slows down the like makes the explosion happen in, in like a bombish way. And it's the it's the mix between explosives and this called like something dynamostarish matter and it's like the matter that you find in the top layer of bodies of water at the mm, bottom really it's like dead animal matter uh-huh. from like all the little microbes in the water and that's used to make dynamite yeah wow. you mix that with an explosive thing and it makes a bomb i didn't know that thank you tom I should probably look it up to make sure i'm not spouting bullshit but i'm pretty sure that's true yeah and one, one last thing about lakes and Lake Como. Lake Como is the deepest, I think it's one of the deepest lakes in entire Europe, something like that. It's like 430 meters deep. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. I went to Lake Como two years ago with my How family. Was it? it was magical, really magical. I think we were in like Bellano is where we stayed. Bellano, yeah. Bellano, yeah. Uh, you know what Bellano means in Italian? So if you, if you split the word bel, ano, and you put an apostrophe there, it means beautiful ass. Really? <laughs> can I say that? Yeah, yeah of course. You can say yeah, it means beautiful ass. <laughs> Does it look like an ass there? Or are there just a lot of beautiful No, I don't know. It's just there. like, I don't know. It's just historical name of it. And there is a closer town called Lecco. Uh-huh. Lecco means to leak. And so sometimes, you know, when you see on the map, you have Lecco. <laughs> Lecco, Bellano. beautiful ass. Exactly. <laughs> nice. That's cool. But it's no, but Lake Como was gorgeous. We loved it. It was a great family trip. My mom, two brothers, Alexa. Uh, there was one morning, I remember in particular, we woke up and there was a rainbow over the lake. Uh, with like the boats going by in the early morning, and it was just like phew, took my breath away. Really good food, really good wine. Um, yeah, I also went to Garda, which is the nearby lake. I guess kind of the maybe rival lake in a way. For me, Como was much better. Garda was also beautiful, and there were some cool parts about Garda that we didn't get in Como. For instance, maybe just because my brothers went, they did like the paragliding thing and it's very famous in Gardo uh, to do the paragliding. But overall, Como was more diverse. We went to some beautiful castle monastery up in the hills near Como. I forget what it was called, but it's gorgeous. Really, really nice. Um, yeah, I think Lake Como is more picturesque. picturesque you say that yeah. in, uh, in English, yeah. yeah. So, it's picturesque. so it's more particular, it's more original. You know, you've got more inputs, you've got the mountains, you've got the water, you've yeah. got everything surrounding you. And it's, as you said, Tom, I mean, I was like, I grew up there because, you know, in, one hour, 15 minutes, I could go skiing. Um, 10 minutes walking, I could go, uh, you know, uh, wakeboarding and, and sailing. And uh, I, I, that emotionally, as you said, I think that's fantastic. What nature can offer you emotionally, you know, is to, you know, compensate and balance out your own personal feelings. It's awesome. Nice. Hmm. Do you agree, Tom? Yeah. That little, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that little, where that grieving thing came from was like from a weird place. And I still can't remember what I was thinking when I had that thought. And I'm gonna look for it. Did you have a time in the mountains where you were grieving? No, in college I did an architecture class, and my final project's like you have to like come up with a house. Like, and I designed a house that was made for like it's kind of a long story, but it was like meant to take you through a emotional journey Mm -hmm. when you because you came in at the back, and then you had to go through this like little like pathway, and then you ended up in a crazy view of the mountains. And the idea, I think. I think this is unrelated, actually, but that was that that played into this whole theory. But I can't remember how the grieving thing played in. But the idea was like when you're really heavily grieving, you like can't comprehend why you feel the way you do, 
And I feel that when I'm like looking at a mountain, I just get kind of confused because it's just like so much shit is going on and it's so big. And it's just like, I can't wrap my head around everything that's going on when I look at mountains. Have you had a point in your life that you've been grieving? Not really. That's kind of, or not to that degree, really. Besides, you know, the grieving that we do whenever we get emotionally unstable. Or whenever you go to the mountains. Yeah. (laughs) Mountains just make me sad. No, I I can see what you're saying. I'm trying to... I've tried to flip it. What if nature is like brings out emotions like just looking at nature like of course na- proper nature like you go up the mountains down in the ocean you know i have this there is this place in italy close to lake como called montes plug and it's a beautiful place on the border with switzerland and you've got a little lake which of course in winter freezes because you're up like 2500 meters on the level of the sea it's a magical place so you've got this little lake little town i'm talking about probably 20 houses and two hotels and that's it um, and it's fantastic. So you, you just go up a little bit on the mountain and you look down and you see this spot of water um, and then you see all mountains around and it's fantastic. Oh. And it, br- it brings, uh, yeah, I know I get what you say. I love that place. It's magical. And every time I get there, I feel some sort of like nostalgia, you know, because as you said, it kind of like probably nature triggers emotions and uh, boosts emotion or balances out emotions. Yeah, for sure. Nature is integral to the human condition. It's just so important so like I, I i blows my mind that some people just don't really go out and enjoy experience it. nature yeah but like people who just sit in their room all day working on their computer and then it gets dark and then they realize oh shit i've spent all day inside because that's how i feel sometimes but you you do i mean now yeah now i mean yeah I, I go i try to go outside but sometimes i you know pay attention at the end of the day and i'm like holy shit i have been inside four walls all day you love to spend time at home. That's the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but when you spend time outside, you enjoy it even more. But now that you're living in the Buddha side, in your little enclave, uh, fiefdom back there in, what is it, district, far reaches of district two? Far reaches 2A, I've heard recently that it's called, because district two is so large that they actually split it up into two. And also Danny came and visited last weekend, and he was saying that they just kind of like they just like annexed this part of uh, like out this like suburb of Budapest into district a at some point because they wanted, I don't know. Yeah. District two, a, it, it is, it is weird. It sort of sprawls out there. Huvish village is like the yeah, name of the, the, Bush, the neighborhood or you're not in Huvish village, you're past Huvish village, which is cold Valley is Huvish village. Okay. I found the note that okay. I, that I wrote from 2005, 2015, August 29th vastness is the name of this. This is a note that I wrote that when I've had this thought the first time. Vastness. A vast experience or deep feeling can be better understood or healthily understood if you take your time to experience some visual vastness, like a huge, gorgeous mountain range, to help you explore and appreciate the vastness of such an emotion. You have to first accept you can't fully understand it, just like you can't fully see the vastness of your view, basically. That's beautiful. I think that that's was, a, that was where the idea came from. A great ending quote to leave us on. I'm glad that you found that right before the buzzer. So Well done, Tom. Grazie mille, Alberto. Grazie mille a voi. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for enlightening us with your Italian views, along with our recently departed amigo Marco. Amico, amico, amico. You got it, amico. Yeah, amico. amico. And uh, grazie mille, Tamash, as always. As always, thank you very much, Willie, and much love to all the listeners out there. It's another episode of Talking with Willie and Tom and Alberto and Marco. 
Yo Isakuts. Have a great night. See you guys soon. <laughs>